Well, this week we are in chapter 20 in our book, Spiritual Depression. Chapter number 20 is entitled, Learning to be Content. Learning to be Content. And the biblical text that Martin Lloyd-Jones uses in speaking about the topic of contentment is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And starting with the context of these words, Lloyd-Jones begins by noting that the Apostle Paul in these three verses is writing to express his gratitude for the church's encouragement and support, while at the same time teaching them that he is not wholly dependent upon their gifts to continue on in life and ministry. And this is Paul's dilemma. This is the problem that he is confronted with as a gospel minister in relation to the church in Philippi. Lloyd-Jones says, quote, He, speaking of Paul, has to express his thanks to the members of the church at Philippi, and yet he has to do it in a way which will not in any sense detract or deviate from the reality of his experience as the Christian man dependent upon God, end quote. So Paul is trying to be sensitive to the feelings of others, and in doing so, he is anxious not to hurt their feelings as they've been gracious to him. Paul, trying to be sensitive to the feelings of church members in Philippi, is anxious to express his profound gratitude and to let the church know that their kindness really did move him very deeply, and yet... He is concerned, on the other hand, to make it abundantly clear that he had not been spending his time wondering why they had not thought of his needs. So he is thankful for God and how God has used them, but he knows that God is the ultimate giver of gifts, not men. The apostle, at one and the same time, shows his indebtedness to his friends, but his greater indebtedness to his Lord. He loves these Philippians very dearly, Lloyd-Jones says. He's profoundly grateful to them, but he loves his Lord more, and he is afraid, lest in thanking them, he might somehow give even a suspicion of a suggestion that the Lord was not sufficient for him, or that he had been depending upon the Philippians in an ultimate sense. So this is the context of Paul's words to the church in Philippi, written Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 12. He is striving to show how the Lord ultimately takes care of him and how he has learned to be content in life and ministry. And examining Paul's contentment in further detail, Lloyd-Jones takes the situation of Paul 
and uses it as a lesson on how you and I can grow in Christian contentment. And he's tying this in, I believe, because he knows that discontentment can bring us into a state of discouragement. Being in a state of discontentment before God and others can bring spiritual depression. So we need to learn, like Paul, how to be content because being content will allow us to be joyful in the Lord. So, setting the chapter into two main points, Lloyd-Jones wants us to consider first the condition at which the apostle had arrived and second, the way in which he had arrived at that condition. So, starting with the condition at which the apostle had arrived, Lloyd-Jones at the bottom of page 277 begins by defining what the word content really means. Paul says, I have learned In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. So the question is, what does this mean? Content. Well, Lloyd-Jones gives a working definition and says this means that Paul is self-sufficient. He's independent of circumstances, conditions, or surroundings. And such contentment is illustrated by Paul... In Acts chapter 16, you'll remember that Paul and Silas were on a preaching mission in Philippi. And as they were preaching Christ, they were arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison for doing exactly what God wanted them to do. And being thrown in prison at midnight, Paul and Silas began praying and praising God. And Lloyd-Jones is using this illustration of Paul as a definition of what contentment looks like. Paul's circumstances are, quote, sour. They are negative in a human sense, but that did not keep Paul from rejoicing in the Lord. So Lloyd-Jones says this is contentment. Paul is independent of circumstances. Paul is happy in the Lord in whatsoever situation he finds himself in. He is satisfied in God. And then Lloyd-Jones mentions that we find the same attitude of Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in which Paul says that despite the painful thorn in his flesh, he has cause for rejoicing And glorying in God. Remember, Paul was humbled, brought low, endured great pain, mental anxieties because there was a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what this is. There's guesses by Bible scholars and commentaries regarding exactly what this is, but we're not told in the text. But There was some circumstance, some pain in the life of Paul that caused him to be weak. And yet in such weakness, Paul says, I'm going to glory in that. Because when I am weak, then am I actually strong. When I'm weak, then I can actually rest wholly on the Lord. I would rather be weak so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. 
And again, Lloyd-Jones is pointing to illustrations in the life of the author of Philippians chapter 4, Paul, regarding what this contentment looks like. And this is important because it's one thing for a teacher or preacher to say things to others, and it's another thing to actually look at his life and see him exemplify it. So Paul is saying, Philippians chapter 4, don't just do what I say, but do as I do. Follow me as I follow the Lord. I'm not calling on you to do something that I have not done. I'm calling on you to join me in being content before the Lord. And then on the bottom of page 278, Lloyd-Jones makes it clear that such contentment was not a reality only in the life of Paul, but it is something that God expects of all Christian people. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we find that Jesus expects his followers to be a people who are content. You'll remember in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus, through his Sermon on the Mount discourse, tells his followers, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled about that which has not come. Don't be concerned and worried about food and clothing and money and such things. Be content with what God has given you. Be happy in Jesus despite your circumstances. And so... Paul is content, he's calling on believers to be content, and Paul is only echoing the message of Jesus. This is not a new message, it's an old message. It's a Christ-focused message. Now, to clarify this further, Lloyd-Jones wants us to understand that Christian contentment does not mean that we become indifferent to our circumstances or that we just accept things as they are. For instance... If a poor man is poor, one could say, well, I guess it just means that in contentment he should just always be poor and he should never work hard and pull himself up out of his poverty. He just needs to be content with living on the streets. And Lloyd-Jones likewise notes on the other extreme, if a rich man is rich... Well, some would say, I guess he should just flaunt his riches before the faces of men. He should just live lavishly. He should not give to the poor because he needs to be content in his prosperity. No, Lloyd-Jones says this is not what contentment means. There at the bottom of page 279, Lloyd-Jones makes it clear that contentment means not being mastered or controlled by our circumstances. And specifically, as it relates to our misery or joy. When Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatsoever state I am in, he is saying, in essence, that he is not being mastered by his circumstances. He is not depending upon what is happening to him to be his source of joy. My life, says Paul, is not controlled and determined by what is happening to me. I am in a state and condition in which I rise above them. Philippians 4, verse 12. Paul says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, 
I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So in other words, Paul is saying that there is not a circumstance that he has not faced. In life and ministry, Paul has known the high highs and the low lows. I mean, think about it. In ministry alone, there were times, read the book of Acts, where Paul was esteemed even as a god because of the miracles that he did. They, they set him up as a great one. And just in a few moments later, they were ready to stone him, kill him. High highs and low lows. The Corinthian church, this is the great apostle Paul. We are of Paul. And then you had men in Jerusalem who were laying wait to kill him. High highs, low lows, but Paul says, do it all. I've learned to be content. Do it all. I've learned to be happy, not in what is going on around me, but be happy in Christ himself. And this is Christian living. Boyd Jones notes. This is how God wants us to live. God wants us, you and I, as believers, to be perfectly satisfied in Him. And then on page 282, 282 Lloyd-Jones mentions several things that we can become dependent upon, several things that are contentment killers. He just kind of squeezes this in, and this is so helpful, so practical to life. Lloyd-Jones mentions that entertainment, can be a contentment killer. And in his days, keep in mind, this is early 1900s, Lloyd-Jones is referring to the newspapers and television and theaters. And we could add to this phones, computers, social media, sports, finding satisfaction in these things. We need to be careful and he quotes, anything and everything that will keep us from being bored can be a replacement for satisfaction found in Christ. It's so helpful that he brings this to our attention because it's our tendency as sinful humans to find satisfaction, pleasure, contentment in things, in people, in activities. And worldly fun, rather than Christ. Now, theologically, we would say, Christ is our contentment. But practically, sometimes we depend upon these things to give us happiness, to bring us joy. And then Lloyd-Jones hits on something interesting within even the Christian community. Lloyd-Jones mentions that sometimes Christians can become dependent upon, quote, Christian meetings, Christian conferences, even church services, revival meetings, or diving into it further, church dinners, breakfasts, lunches, fellowships, camps, retreats. It's possible to rely upon such meetings as the source of our happiness rather than Christ himself. And some teens live like this year by year. Many teens live summer to summer just, they get the high in their youth camp or retreat, 
And then high goes down and then they forsake the Lord the rest of the year. And then they, quote, serve the Lord for a week back at youth camp. That's exactly what Lloyd-Jones is hitting at. And even adults live in that same way. Let's not just pick on the teens. And of all things, here we are going to men's retreat this week. He's dealing with it in the chapter. I didn't pick it out myself. Some men, some women, some couples regarding retreats live for that spiritual high. Men's retreat, women's retreat. I get to get away. I get to focus my attention on the Word of God. I get to eat tri-tip on Friday night. I get to shoot my guns. I get to be around Christian people. And they go and they get that booster shot, that experience of fun and the skits and all that. And then they come back and they deflate. This is what Lloyd-Jones is sitting at. He says, we need to be careful that we don't find our contentment in experiences, in meetings, even in church itself. Our contentment is in Christ. It ought to be in Him. Camps and retreats and meetings and fellowships, these things are not real life. They're not. It's an extracurricular activity. And thus, we should not depend on such experiences to give us joy. And this is what we're talking about in our Sunday night series. The church's pushing of entertainment and fun. This philosophy, we need coffee, we need donuts, we need tailgate parties, we need lively music, we need bounce houses, we need clowns. Why? So that we can make people happy. Lloyd-Jones is saying such things are false satisfactions. And they are false satisfactions which do not help the Christian learn to be truly content in Christ alone. And it's true. When we implant all these extra things within the church that are not in the Word of God, by the way, we are actually teaching others that they need Christ and activities. They need Christ and social events. They need Christ and other people They need Christ and experience. And guess what? When you take all that away, the people go away. John chapter 6. Jesus points his fingers. Well, he was gracious enough to feed the hungry with food. But when he started preaching doctrine and church started seeming a little boring. I didn't come for Bible doctrine. I came for breakfast burritos. I came to kick up my feet and have a good time with the buddies. Jesus get into theology? That's old-fashioned. That's dead. Come on, Jesus. And they went away. Did he chase them? No. He turned to his disciples and said, will you also go away? What are you here for? What do you want? Fun? Or true joy in Christ? Well, I better move on before I get into trouble. I'll leave this for tonight's series. But Lloyd-Jones mentions it. False satisfactions. We need to be careful of it. And the church can be guilty of teaching others to find contentment in, quote, Christian things and Christian ministries rather than Christ. I know some people, they can only be content in a church if they're serving in a, quote, ministry, if they have a position. If they don't have it, they're gone. 
Are they truly content in Christ? Yes, we ought to be faithful in serving the Lord, but not for attention, not to pat ourselves on the back, not to be some hero. Contentment in Christ. Mary and Martha. Martha was busy serving. She had to do, 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 do. It seemed that that was her contentment. Do, do, do. I got to be busy for the Lord. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, finding contentment in Him. All right, I got to move on. Having considered the condition at which the Apostle Paul arrived, moving on to the second main point, Lloyd Jones wants us to consider the way in which he had arrived at that condition. So looking to the text, we find that Paul says, I have learned, or I have come to learn in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Unless we think that Paul was somehow a perfect angel who was endowed with the gift of flawless contentment from his birth, Paul says, listen, you need to understand, I've had to learn how to grow in this Christian virtue. So then the question is, how did he come to learn Christian contentment? And Lloyd-Jones points out first, simply through experience. Sheer experience. Living life. Dealing with the trials and troubles of life taught him how to be content in the Lord. And this is true in our lives. As you and I live life, there's a condition... As you and I live life keeping our eyes on Christ, God will teach us how to grow in contentment. He's the potter, we're the clay, right? And the potter has ways of molding us and chipping at things that shouldn't be there. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And in both the giving and the taking away, we're learning contentment. God is God. He can do whatever He wants to. God is God. He's always good. He's always just. God is God. And if I start leaning on things that don't satisfy, He might just take away that crutch so I might learn to lean on Him. Experiences. You and I can think of specific things in our lives where we would have to admit that, yeah, we were finding joy in other things except Christ. And God in His mercy, God in His grace... God in His chastisement was teaching us to be content in Him. So sheer experience. The mountaintop experiences. And then the valleys. And then back to the mountain and back to the valleys. These things are wedded in our life to teach us Christian contentment. And then, Lloyd-Jones notes that Paul came to learn contentment by working out a great argument. And Lloyd-Jones mentioned seven particular points that influenced his reasoning process. I'll read them to you beginning page 284. This was the Apostle Paul's logic so that he could grow in contentment. Number one, conditions are always changing. Therefore, I must obviously not be dependent upon conditions. Conditions change. God does not. Number two, What matters supremely and vitally is my soul and my relationship to God. That is the first thing. Number three, God is concerned about me as my father and nothing happens to me apart from God. Even the very hairs of my head are all numbered. I must never forget that. 
Number four, God's will and God's ways are a great mystery. But I know that whatever he wills or permits is of necessity for my good. Number five, every situation in life is the unfolding of some manifestation of God's love and goodness. Therefore, my business is to look for this peculiar manifestation of God's goodness and kindness and to be prepared for surprises and blessings because his ways are not my ways, neither are his thoughts my thoughts. What, for example, is the great lesson of Paul learned in the matter of the thorn in the flesh? It is that when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul was taught through physical weakness this manifestation of God's grace. Number six, I must regard circumstances and conditions not in and of themselves, therefore, but as part of God's dealing with me in the work of perfecting my soul and bringing me to final perfection. And then number seven, whatever my conditions may be at this present moment, they are only temporary. They are only passing. And they can never rob me of the joy and the glory that ultimately awaits me with Christ. He called these things to his remembrance. And these things then caused him to be content. I think we could take those seven points and sum it up in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's the pillow that we can rest our weary hearts upon. That's the pillow that will bring us Christian contentment despite there being wars and rumors of wars. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God is in control. We know that what He does is always right and always good. Though we may not understand it, we know that Jesus is the King Supreme. He does whatsoever He will in the army of heaven. That's our hope. That's our source of encouragement. And that's the flame of contentment. But then he says, the big principle that emerges clearly is that Paul had learned to find his pleasure and his satisfaction in Christ and always in Christ. And I like this. Lloyd-Jones says, quote, Paul's intimacy with Christ was so deep and so great that he had become independent of everything else. Keeping his eyes on Christ, he became content. Communing with his Savior, he became content. Abiding in the vine, he became content. And notice the difference. There's a great difference. His contentment was not in church. Now, the believer ought to love the church for which Christ died. The believer ought to be a part of the church. But his contentment was not in other people. That's what the church is. His contentment was not in the music a church provides. His contentment was not in programs. Nor was his contentment in theology. Paul was a great theologian. But his contentment was not in knowing about God. His contentment was about knowing intimately God. Philippians chapter 3, same book. Go back a chapter from 4 to 3. That I may know him, Paul says. And the power of 
his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. That I might win Christ. Go back two chapters more, Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Christ was his soul's contentment. So in closing, let me ask, where do you find yourselves this morning? In regards to Christian contentment, are you happy in Jesus and Jesus alone? Or are you depending on other things or other people to give you joy? Let me ask it this way. If God should take away everything that you have physically, would you still praise Him? Would you still be faithful to His cause? Are you tempted to question why God is allowing certain things in your life? Perhaps you need to consider that God is trying to teach you to be content. And finally, most importantly, if you're here this morning and the continual portrait of your life is nothing but constant discontentment, dissatisfaction, discouragement, and depression, no abiding peace, no abiding joy in your heart, then I hope that you will see that what you need this morning is Christ. You need to be born again. You need to be reconciled to God. Listen, we will never learn to be content in Christ if we don't have Christ Himself. Unless Christ is our Savior and Lord, we'll never have Christian contentment. That's where it starts. It starts in knowing Him savingly. And then it continues knowing Him through sanctification, knowing Him as the Good Shepherd.